This is episode 92 of The New Disruptors, fit to print with Andy McMillan. Permanent archives at newdisrupt.org. This episode of The New Disruptors is made possible in part through the support of 99designs. Have dozens of designers from the over 310,000 that are part of 99designs network submit ideas for your logo, website, t-shirt, car wrap, or other design project. Then pick the best and have a finished professional result in a week or less for a flat price. Listeners to The New Disruptors can get a $99 power pack of services for free by visiting 99designs.com slash disruptors. That's numeral 9, numeral 9, design com slash disruptors. Thanks also to our Patreon backers, Ben Wordmuller, Brian Clark, and Gravity Fish for supporting us directly. Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that carves potatoes, paints them, and presses them onto paper. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. Andy McMillan makes things that bring people together. The Build Conference, the XOXO Festival, and The Manual, a series of books with thoughtful essays about design. After producing three print volumes of The Manual, he's trying to take it to the next level and produce something openly broadly available across many media that's a collaboration with those who want to make it happen. We'll talk books, ebooks, community, and hugs and kisses. Andy, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Glenn. I cannot believe you mentioned potatoes. I love potatoes. Yeah. In your oh, intro. my God. This is like a racial offense, isn't it? <laughs> it's so funny. That's uh, that's the immediate go-to if people are trying to annoy me. They're just like, oh, I, had, I love potato prints. You know, I actually did not think of Ireland. I was thinking of... I mean, well, the ultimate irony is I love potatoes. <laughs> I, had, I had a bunch of potatoes last night for dinner. I love potatoes. That is that is a stereotype that absolutely. Oh my rings god! My true. subconscious mind is moving over time. I was thinking <laughs> potato prints are the ultimate thing. It's the wonderful form for children's self-expression when they realize they can make multiples of something. It's the first thing because right. you're not going to give them lino blocks and knives. Not you. Not you. Most children, but you give them a t- no. potato, and suddenly they're like, "Hey, I can be creative many times with one input," which is. I like love printing. That. And uh, so, Andy, you and I just got back from when we record this. So I got back from you're still you're still in the lovely town of Portland uh, after the uh, third incarnation of XOXO. And that's why my voice is in the cellar and you're very tired. Yes, mine, is, <laughs> mine is very hoarse. I, yeah, I am. I am exhausted. Uh, I. Uh, it's it, a lot of people th- seem to think that XO ends like everyone leaves on, on Sunday night, leave the after party. I'm like, oh, it's over. I'm like, well, not for Andy and I. You're like, we I we have to go by the building when the when this call is over. I have to go by the building and move a bunch of furniture. Uh, the little office that we were using is still full of all of our stuff, all of the stuff that we fabricated. Uh, I know some people listening will have will have been at XO, but. Uh, some people, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be able to see photos online. All of the stuff that we fabricated that was in that front yard, we actually forgot to really plan to do anything <laughs> with that. And so it's sitting there we're like, oh, uh, what are we going to do with this stuff? So we have to go back over and see uh, if we can uh, maybe like deconstruct it or if someone's maybe interested in taking it off our hands. And so, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. There's still a lot of stuff left to do. And I'm very tired. My throat is very... Uh, 
I don't know. Hopefully in the podcast recording, I come across as very, you know, that this is quite a sultry it's voice. Very white. We're all very um, white after XOXO. Uh, <laughs> it's a, well, I it's an so. astonishing effort. We're, we're going to talk, I think, mostly in this podcast about, about the manual, but I thought we'd open with that since it's so fresh and, you know, you've done it three times. I've been there three times and, uh, and been on, on stage uh, twice as part of it, which is great. Thank you very much. And uh, it is always our pleasure to have you there, Glenn. Well, it's interesting, too. Uh, the, the, the last podcast, uh, the, the New Disruptors is going to go on hiatus, although I now have a plan for 2015. But our last uh, episode, the one following this, will be the uh, episode recorded uh, live on stage at XOXO. And what's fascinating, as the last one, is two of the guests get into it, and I've had a uh, conversation afterwards, and everyone – uh, the best part is everyone was happy that the discussion happened. And so surprise. So next week, listeners, you'll hear this very interesting podcast, the last episode in the series um, about that. But the event is extraordinary because there's a few different parameters about it that differ from any other event I've attended except like purely arts-oriented ones. Like I've gone to type conferences and things like that, which sort of self-select a person. But anytime you bring – tech in, there's a kind of person who is there to sell you things. There's a kind of person there to talk at you. There are certain kinds of typically men, not always men, who are having a separate agenda from the things they're saying. Their subtext is very different from their supertext. And you've done this amazing thing over three years. It feels like you figured out how generally to bring people as attendees who and, and as speakers as well who want to have conversations. I think that's a remarkable thing. What's the process that you developed to have, I guess I want to say talkers or people who want to participate in the temporary community that's formed? I think uh, the, the registration process um, that we have developed over the last three years, even though it, it has its odd controversy here and there, is, is actually incredibly effective at bringing together the kinds of people who actually want to come and, and genuinely contribute to the event and, and have a really kind of meaningful experience over the, over the weekend. And it's because you know, we, we survey people, uh, we survey our attendees to, to essentially just to discover if they're making things or not. We're not, we're not judging people on what they're making. Uh, I, I, and I think the Kickstarter project, the original event, so many people saw it and it just, it attracted exactly the kind of people that we were making XO for. And the registration process that we built last year and we've improved on then uh, for, for, for this year's event uh, has done an incredible job at actually keeping that kind of audience and sort of protecting the audience from the you know the kinds of people who would come and mine XO for its resources, <laughs> the kinds of people that you're talking about, you know, that want to come and bother people uh, with the marketing whatever nonsense. Because we are, we do have such uh, you know we are so stringent with our registration process and we're like you have to be a maker to come here that's who we're making it for oh, you know we're not really interested in in having people here who aren't making stuff uh i think that that is what keeps it uh, at that level and it is it has been, it has been incredibly effective and it's still something that andy and i are learning a lot like i'm sure there's stuff that we can improve if we decide to do another one i'm sure there's things that we can improve but we're constantly surprised that it that it, that it was effective again this year the the people who attended this year were just the best group of people i've ever spent a weekend with just incredible um yeah and i th i think it's because we 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 do you know controversially kind of take a stand and say like yeah we're inviting a very uh we're inviting a very particular group of people here as well and we're going to ask them in advance if they identify with that group of people if they if they think that they're makers and uh and if they uh and if they are then you know then 
we've thrown them into the lottery and, and hopefully they get to well, come. I think last year there was confusion is, and I realize you guys realized the way you explained it, maybe you confused people. And, and it felt like because there was an oversubscription uh, in 2013 that people thought that it was cherry picked, right? That it was like, oh, you're picking all the cool kids. And I'm like, look, dude, there's no universe in which Glenn is a cool kid. I do interesting things that I'm happy about, but I'm not like an A-list whatever. I'm like, if I'm going and like my friend Jeff Carlson's like, I'm not a cool kid. We're going. This is an event about doing creative stuff. But this year I felt like the process, I think you got over that bump and it was, look, we're just trying to find people. We asked these couple of questions and people who are marketing or are in the right mindset, they, it sounds like they answer them relatively honestly, not realizing that what they're saying is that they're not somebody who creates and makes stuff. Right. I mean, I, I think the, I think the, We've said this several times over that uh, if you're if you're not making things, the three questions that we answer or that we ask you uh, are very difficult to answer for someone who doesn't make anything. And so, like marketing, you know, it's not to say that we don't uh, uh, we that if you are involved in marketing that you're not welcome at XO. Uh, We had a lot of people this year whose professional roles are marketing but they have you know stuff that they're working on on the side and they have other projects going on and that was their motivation for attending xo they don't mean to wholesale write off people who are involved in marketing because there's still some good people in there and they've and they've got you know that's it's not to say that they're not welcome at xo it's the people who are marketing people who want to come to xo to practice marketing at the attendees that's those are the people that 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 are not really going to get anything out of XO and are, are, and are not really supposed to be part of that audience. And they out themselves in their answers, right? Because when you say, like, what's the thing you're proud of? What have you made recently? Uh, whatever, the answers they give, um, it's not that the, I mean, because you, you don't have a litmus test like, oh, you have to make something amazing, you have to spend a year, you have to travel to Antarctica, but it's more like honest, it's honesty, right? It's, yeah, it's it's honesty. And, and the answers, I mean, Andy and I have to go through thousands of, of, of submissions and it, it does it, it becomes very apparent very quickly the the general rule of thumb is that uh the, those kinds of, of people write essays uh because, because it's very clear they were like oh, i don't know i don't really have anything to put here so i'm just going to put everything here and that and that's not to say we, we actually we got some people who wrote like really long answers for for this year's event who were incredibly interesting, and the reason why they wrote essays is because they're just very prolific. Mm-hmm. But um, but for the most part, kind of you know, marketing people who are just essentially trying to blag their way in to come and bother people typically tend to write long essays of the like the reasons why they believe they should come in. And like, okay, you're just not understanding this process. Okay, you're you know you're good. And yeah, I mean, there was we did there was some missteps the first year. We kind of. Um, the fact that it was first come first serve and the fact that we didn't tell anyone that we were doing it differently. So the day that we launched, we were like, surprise, we don't need your credit card information right now, but you need to fill out a survey. And everyone was like, what? Uh, We need to answer questions and we can't buy tickets. I think that that was the biggest problem is that um, we should have been upfront and told people we're doing things a little bit differently, you know, and, and then the fact that we were saying, you know, we are doing things a little bit differently, but you better figure it out real quick because, you know, it's first come, first serve. And if you don't get an answer in, you know, you're going to drop in the queue. That was a disaster. That I don't know why we ever thought that was a good idea. You know, uh, we and, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from that. And so this year we gave everyone a week. Um, we gave everyone a week of a heads up that that was how registration was going to be. And then we gave everyone a week to submit survey uh, responses. And then uh, we poured through them. And then people got 
uh, emails at random through a lottery and it was much more low stress uh, and it just kind of let people give more considered responses and that and that was fantastic well people had a chance to to plan to which is which is great um, and I, th I also wanted to comment on you know you had had the issue of uh, the issue of diversity had come up of gender equity and uh, representation and you'd put a question in for people like that let people who want to identify themselves in some ways underserved or in an area uh, like that that they could do it and I thought you know definitely just the like the visual scan this year was okay this must have succeeded at least in part because I'm just looking around and seeing a different balance all over the place it felt more uh it, it felt more diverse everyone didn't look like me basically and last year not everyone looked like me but a lot of people did and this year much less and that made me very happy too yeah i mean that we we are quite happy with how with how that went and and really all that it took was that we said this isn't good enough uh this doesn't have to be this way you know we want to invite a, a more diverse audience and so uh, XO is XO is is open to all. It is you know it is supposed to be a, a a very welcoming audience, and and we there's no excuse why it has to be like this. So we yes we added another question to the to the uh, the survey, uh, asking people if they identified with a group that they believed had been previously underrepresented at XO and. Uh, I mean, it 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 was incredible. Uh, I, it was a text area. It wasn't a select field. You don't have to tick a box or anything. We just let people, you know, speak to to whatever they felt, uh, and it and it was absolutely phenomenal. To be honest, like the the level of 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 honesty that we got from people, like people were telling us stuff about themselves that they said that they hadn't even told their closest friends. Wow. Um, and it was it was just incredibly moving for that information to be shared with us. Uh, and so, you know, I, I said this on stage as well that I felt like that needs to be met with 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 the respect that it deserves. Uh, and I think that we I think that we did a pretty good job of you know some things be, being open uh, uh, like that and invited way more survey responses from female attendees than in previous years. And uh, we brought uh, female attendance up from twenty two percent in previous years to a four, just over forty percent, oh, which again is not. There's still a lot of room for improvement there, but that was that's a pretty significant jump in one year. And really, the only thing that we did this year was say we would like a more diverse audience, and we really we didn't like that was the core kind of thing that we did. The only thing that we that we said was or the only thing that we did was that we asked. I'll tell you something interesting too that happened is after you opened up for applications, I was following the uh, I forget if it was it was following at XOXO or the hashtag or whatever it was, but I was watching to see what people were commenting about. And whenever I saw somebody who said, boy, is this for me? Or should I go? Or will I have anyone to talk to there? And I will and be completely blunt. Those were mostly people who were sens sensibly identified as women, mostly people of color, if not identified as women or both. And I would say, if you come, I'll talk to you. And or here's a post I wrote about it. It's a great event. And so and I was not the only one doing it. So it was whenever I saw someone say, is this for me? I'd say, yeah, absolutely. You come. I'll talk to you. Find me. I'll give you a hug, whatever. And I think there was that. kind. And I like to say I was not the only one doing that. But I think there was a lot of goodwill outreach like, oh, my God, now people have gone past the stage where you guys have signaled what you want. You've signaled this is not for white tech guys or whatever and then uh you know which there was there's implicit and explicit signals and you did the explicit one and said look we are really look we want you here and then other people said when they asked because they were still like okay is that really the case like yes yes come on and i i think that you know some combination of social and, and signaling uh, makes a difference well it's it, it's it's not to say that it isn't for white tech guys 
Uh, we're not excluding right, right. Not anyone. Just for... We're trying to include as many people as possible. And, and this year was the first step towards that. You know, we did that, that jump from 22% to over 40% female attendees is, is fantastic, and, uh, but it is a foundation for further mm -hmm. improvement. The fact that only 13% uh, of, of attendees identified as people of color, not good enough. You know, there's still, there's a lot uh, of other, uh, there's a lot, there's still a lot of work to be done. And again, if Andy and I decide that we're going to do another one, we have a much deeper, richer understanding I think of this problem and I think that this year has built a foundation and I think a lot of people are going to go away and uh, I think that you know if we do open up registration again that there will be a conversation uh, you know that this year when people were asking is this for me you know am I going to feel you know welcome here I think that we're going to have even more people jumping in and and saying yes absolutely <laughs> you know it, it felt that way last year and these guys clearly care and i really hope that came across like i i had so many wonderful moving conversations with people over the course of the weekend who stopped me and said you know i didn't feel like i could belong at an event like this and you've just made me feel so welcome and the you know the stuff that we've done with the diversity and the code of conduct and the way that we acted when there were problems i think made people feel like they could be welcome and and that that is so important to me and so incredibly moving that 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 people would stop and tell me things like that so yeah it was just it was a it was an exhausting weekend uh emotionally most of all just absolutely exhausting well i'll tell you also the a similar thing happened uh on a different scale um at the magazine is uh about several months into it we were getting 90 percent of the pitches we were getting were from men we were mostly publishing male bylines and we're like this is not a even if you're in a male identified or male dominated field, you know, aspects of technology like programming, the magazine isn't about that. Why are we not getting women who are in, in tech reporting, especially is more even, especially when you get into sort of broader, uh, you know, tech society culture stuff. And so I wrote an essay about it saying, we're doing something wrong. We don't know what it is. And I talked to a number of female contributors and other people. And the moment we did that, the floodgates opened. People were like, oh, they're actually thinking about this. They actually care. And from that moment on, I have not had to do a single bit of anything to essentially uh, get pitches about half and half or even maybe majority women. We've published issues that all have all female bylines, and I've never called attention to that fact because it's no longer an issue. And it felt like, good God, did all I have to do was make sure people felt welcome and not excluded. Was that it? And and it's not never that easy, but that was certainly one step along the way to, to, to get people to feel like they're welcome in a space. And once they felt welcome, then it changed, it changed a lot of things. That that was the revelation for me this year was that really so much of of the improvements that happened this year just came from saying that it, it wasn't good enough and that everyone was welcome and then suddenly it, it, yeah that was that was just incredible and it, you know and we can you know we can consider it more and 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 improve things I think if we if we decide to do more of them and it's it really is amazing just like that 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 was really all that we had to do in order to improve. Uh, I know you have to make, you got to care or make the effort. You know, I, I, I don't want to, I, uh, I wind up, um, it's like a business psychoanalyst analysis of my guests is, uh, I don't want to do that, but I realize there's a theme I think in your life, uh, at least from the projects that I know of is that you like to do things <laughs> in which the thing you do is sort of ostensibly about one thing, but it's really about another. So 
Do you think well, so? I'd like well, to hear okay. this. I'd like to hear if my life has Here's a my theme. Theory. So build is for people <laughs> who were involved in like in design, right? Design thinking. But it really wasn't about you didn't go to learn the latest CSS, right? Yeah. Well build was uh build is the best way to kind of describe build in the manual is that, that like build is the kind of event version of the manual and the manual is the book version of build because they both share a very similar ethos where build was I, I'm, all of the speakers that were always told no markup, no code, no screenshots. Mm-hmm. You're here to talk. We're, we're not, this is not, this is not a portfolio review. This is not technical. We're not getting into the technical side of the web. We're going to talk about stories and ideas and kind of critique and bigger big picture kind of design theory sort of discussions. And I, you know, I think that was actually why, why it went so well, because it was, it, it took a, it took a different approach. And, you know, the, the, the manual is the book version of that as well, where a lot of, a lot of other uh, web design publications are very technical and the manual is a little bit different because it's kind of trying to take a, a more, uh, like a deeper look at exactly what is going on with, the industry and community and people and the stories and, and ideas around designing for the web rather than like this is how to technically achieve something, which of course has been the driving force uh, of the web. The fact that as soon as someone discovers how to do something, they, you know, they write it up and they put it online. And that is how we've had technical progress in web design is that we are an incredibly open you know, community and, and, and industry. But I personally have believed that the, the conversation on the other side, the non-technical conversation, the way that we've described it, which has been kind of clumsy over the years, is the, the why questions rather than the how questions mm. has been lacking. And curating that and kind of uh, making sure that that conversation is also happening with the same gusto as everything else is something that I think is, uh, that I feel is very important. And that's why I've spent some time working on it with Build uh, and with the books. So... Well, and I think XOXO fits in that too, is it's for people who work in technology, the intersection of technology and art or want to take what they're doing in technology and bring it to art or community. Or I heard a lot of people talk about, even at the after party, a long talk with a fellow, but all throughout people saying, all right, this is all great. Now, how do we turn this outward? Like now we understand this understanding of empathy and application. How do we reach more people with it? But it's, you have a mix of technology. Everybody at XOXO really fits in that rubric of some balance of technologist and aesthetic and uh, expressive creative maker and it just you know the percentages vary from person to person and some people are 100% of each of those you know are full on you know overlap and, and others less so but I feel like it's an event for people trying to figure out what that intersection is for themselves without actually doing there's no hands on there's no like here's what you do here's the steps here's the secret you know the the best you know the the, the apotheosis of that at this event um when the video goes up people will share in the delight was how i won the lottery and um right. and that was both like taking the piss out of the entire event and also i was like putting the piss back in <laughs> like it was it was deflating it at the same time as explaining why it's important that we what we ask that question how did we win the lottery we don't know but and this year was a lot of that but I, but again like build uh, the manual and xoxo are all things for people who do a thing in their career they're doing a thing and they're moving along and then you're trying to give them a different way to think about stuff that does not involve the actual application of specific work and work tasks. And I think you're trying to open their mind up so that they're viewing the same thing they're doing without just giving them, here's how you do great CSS3 layouts. Right. I think, I, I think actually that's part of the reason why 
the audience at Build and the audience at XO is the way that it is because I think a lot of people, whenever they see those events, and we're very kind of, uh, we're not promising that you're going to learn anything because <laughs> like a lot of, a lot of other, yes, I understand. a lot of other events are like, here's all the deliverables and here's how to like pitch it to your manager. So you can get a ticket to go to this thing. And like, I'm not promising that you're going to learn anything. I, you know, that's not, you might go me. back and quit not, your job. You may not want to justify this to your manager at all. But, right. But like I, 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 uh, in build and in XO, like we don't say like, you're going to come and learn these things. This is, you know, you're going to leave feeling inspired and you're going to, you know, you're going to go change the world. I'm like, no, we're not going to promise any of that stuff. We're, what we're doing is that we're going to put all these people in a room and we're going to try to have an honest conversation about, uh, about things and whatever happens, whatever reaction you have is on you. But promising stuff and like having a bullet point list of deliverables of what you're going to take away from this thing, it's too personal for that. We, you know, we don't, I don't want to say that you're going to come to XO and feel inspired or you're going to come to build and, you know, you're going to leave and change the world. That's nonsense. That's, that doesn't, that, those things don't happen. You can't promise that to every single person who comes. And so, you know, I, I, you know we never have. Um, but of course, the people who the the community that formed uh, around Build and the community that's forming around XO, it's obviously incredibly moving. Or like, there's a lot of energy that the that these people uh, leave with. Particularly XO, the, the the community and the audience at XO leave, and it does. Um, there is genuine force afterwards where people leave, and it's you know they're quitting their jobs or they're like starting projects that they've been had on hold for years and there is I really despise the word inspiration because I think it's used too readily to 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 promise that to people like come to this event and be inspired I'm like no that's that's way too personal you can't promise people that they're going to come and feel inspired it's a very rare and personal reaction to something but people do seem to come to XO and a lot of people do leave you know, and I can't believe I'm going to actually use the word inspired in a sentence because I normally try to avoid it, but they do leave inspired. Like a lot of people genuinely change major things in in their lives whenever they come to XO. And that's terrifying. (laughs) Like I think Andy tweeted last night, like uh, the new tagline, we said our tagline this year was going to be lower your expectations. (laughs) (laughs) And we're, and we're going to change it to don't blame us. <laughs> so many people have been have been reporting that they're leaving to like, we, hi, like I'm quitting, I'm handing in my notice and I'm going to go work in this project I've wanted to do for 10 years. And like, oh, crap. Like, oh, God, just don't blame us. Let's take a break so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, 99designs. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you probably know that I was trained in graphic design and worked as a typesetter. I know how the field works. It's a process of exploration and creativity. It's, it's really a remarkable thing to work in when you're trying to create something that expresses an idea, a thought, or even concrete information in a graphic way. It's a means of communication. And there are many people who can design something effective for you. The trouble is trying to find the right thing that you need at the time you need for the price you want and get a consistent result. This is where 99designs offers a unique deal. 
They connect you with over 310,000 graphic designers in their worldwide network. They've vetted these folks, and they know they do quality work, and they monitor them over time. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee on any work that you get through them, and they can help you get logos, websites, T-shirts, car wraps, anything that you can get designed. They can help you make a match. And you don't just get hooked up with one designer. Instead, you pick what you need. There's a flat price associated with it, and then designers compete for your business. They actually show you sketches and ideas or even completed work. You pick what you want and then you work through to completion with that designer. The whole thing takes a week, sometimes less, to get a high-quality result from a professional designer, again, with this 100% money-back guarantee. So you get a look at a lot of ideas. You don't have to contract with someone long-term, and you get what you want. And if it doesn't work out, you've got a, a way out of that as well. This is what 99designs is doing. It's great for the designers to get this constant flow of work vetted through 99designs to help them. It's great for you because you know you're going to get a consistent result backed up by a guarantee, as well as having access to a huge number of people people who otherwise would have to find one by one. It's a terrific site, a terrific idea, and it helps everyone involved. And to sweeten the deal, 99designs has a special offer for you, listener to The New Disruptors. If you go to their website, you can get a $99 power pack of services for free right now. Visit the URL, 99designs.com slash disruptors. Now that's numeral nine, numeral nine, designs.com slash disruptors. And you'll be able to get that $99 power pack of services for free today. Give them a try and let them know we sent you. And now back to the podcast. The way I felt after I went to the first XOXO is there's a, I can't remember if it's a sculpture. I'm trying to remember the, na the nature of the thing, but it was from the, oh, it's like the 1920s or 30s. There's a German uh, bit of art called uh, Endlich Spalen Sie, uh, what is it? Endlich Spalen Sie, let me find this. Sorry, it's Spalen Sie Endlich Ihren Kopf auf, and it means tear open your head at last, right? It's like open your mind. And it's, um, and uh -huh. I remember that just the phrase, I can't even remember the piece of art connected with it is, I'll have to put it in the show notes, but that was what I felt like. I felt like I had the top of my head torn off <laughs> two years ago. And then I spent a while trying to figure out what was inside there and what I needed to put back in and to, to close it down. And I did. And that's, that's a different thing. And, you know, I don't want to criticize events like um, an event apart is a great compliment to say build where an event apart has a very specific professional goal and they talk about some bigger things they talk about design as a practice and that you do get specifics and there is code on page and people go there to sharpen their saw but it's also a social thing it's a great community people go again and again but that's one side of it that's the sort of professional development conference and it might be the best in its area uh, and then build is the other side which is the you're not talking about code you're not talking in the, in the manual as well as you're trying to reform the way people think with their participation. They're, they're, um, you know, it's that thing about uh, the space between the notes uh, that, that you're not giving people all the answers. You're giving them the questions that they have to fill in the rest, but they have to think about it and reconceive of things conceivably. And then what they do that happens in their head. You can't just tell them something. Exactly. I, I, and I mean, I don't, uh, I love event apart and, 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 the, and the list apart. And absolutely. I think publications like, like a, particularly a, a list apart have been integral to the progress that that we have made for uh, on the web, and uh, of course having discussions about the technical and how to technically achieve things, and you know, and, and the list apart has had a lot of you know, you know, movements form from it uh, uh, that have been incredibly important to where where the web is today. And uh, you know, it's not to say that technical writing about the web is not important or should go away. And you know, the conversations that I am encouraging are more important. Not at all. It, it's I just believe it's important to have a, a bigger 
discussion, we, and we need to try to include more stuff, and particularly the kinds of things that I am interested in, which is, you know, design as a practice and kind of theory and critique and kind of bigger ideas, as well as the technical stuff, which absolutely has its place and is, as I said before, the reason why the web and, and uh, the work that we do at the moment it is where it is today because we as a as a as an industry and as a community have uh you know almost uh, this is almost unique to 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 web design a lot of other design practices are like people don't like sharing trade mm -hmm. secrets and they don't want to let people know what they're working on and they're all you know they kind of just kind of huddle together and just don't don't mention anything but the, but the web has been the complete opposite where as soon as you learn something the first thing you do is you share it with everyone else and that that has been that is the reason why you know web design if you look at you know what websites looked like 15 years ago and looked at look at the work that we're producing today the jump that we've taken there is astonishing this, this uh, that we've got so far in such a short period of time and it's because of that uh mindset that seems to be instilled in everyone who designs for the web which is uh, open freely sharing everything the second you discover something you give it to everyone else uh, and it is a community based in generosity and that that is also one of the reasons why it is awesome to be involved in because everyone is super nice and very sweet and generous that's why i liked running a web design event for five years because all of the people who come are awesome it's an industry that attracts really nice people and of course xo does that as well um, you, and uh you have uh this is a good thing to talk about too is you did build for five years and xoxo overlap with some of that and the manual overlap mm -hmm. with some of that you are but one human being andy as I, despite <laughs> despite the perception Barely. of you being everywhere uh at xoxo and so it seems like you had to make a choice i mean build did it run its course you had a shape for it and uh, i mean i know xoxo it sounds like takes up uh, months a year of your time to do two events in two different parts of the world plus the, the objectives you had with the manual, did that did that come to a point where you had to uh, you know fish or cut bait and say, all right, we're gonna I'm gonna focus on this and this now. Build had a good run, and now I'm moving to a different stage. Or had you achieved all the goals you had with Build, and you were you hitting a point where you didn't want to repeat what you were doing? No, Build was uh, I think it was in the second year of Build. Uh, build was I, 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 it's unfortunate because this is not very romantic, but Build was kind of formed because I was going to a lot of other events. And they got kind of shitty. <laughs> and I was trying to identify, like, why are these events getting so bad? Like, these, you know, a few years ago, this is our favorite thing to go to. And it's just, you know, it's in the toilet. And so, you know, I identified some stuff like, well, they're starting to care less about the narrative over the course of the day. The sponsors are starting to take over, you know, because it's clearly it's becoming more, a little bit more about money. And... And so, you know, I tried to do something about that. I tried to form uh, a narrative over the course of, of the day of build. And that has that was very successful, particularly in the last two or three years when I kind of started to figure it out a little bit more. And the sponsorship is is what we do with XO as well, which is that we didn't have sponsors. We had patrons. The build, I was still calling them sponsors. But um, essentially, sponsors give a little bit of money to the event. But the thing that they really get to do is that they get a bunch of passes and then they come and participate. And so... We did a bunch of really interesting things to build over the years, like MailChimp uh, and, and myself, we brewed a beer, um, and the beer was like free for the entire week of, of build, um, and we like just lots of different like little interesting creative projects, which is a way to still continue bringing money in for the event, but also like keeping the interaction between 
companies who want to get involved and attendees is still like it's still a human connection because people are still showing up and they're being generous. They're giving something cool and it improves the event. And so one of the other things that I uh, that I, it took me a little while to to discover was that the, there, there needs to be a story. You need to be telling a story from start to finish. And the, one of the other reasons why these events that I was enjoying going to before were getting bad is that because they didn't really have any goal in mind. They didn't have a focus or something that they were trying to achieve. And so that's what I decided to do was, okay, this thing needs to have a goal in mind. I need to, I need to set myself a finite period of time in order to tell a story. And I'll do that. And then I'll be, then I'll be done. And so I decided in the second year, okay, five, five is a good number. I'll do five and I'll see what happens. And actually, you know, it was kind of ridiculous because the logo for build is a little, a uh, little hex nut and it has six sides. So I probably should have done six to keep it in the brand or whatever. And I, I, I guess I didn't think of that, uh, but five, it turns out five is actually the perfect number. The fifth year, I think, you know, went off really well and we kind of sent it off quite nicely. Um, and that was why I think that, that that that's another problem is that it, it's always a good to kind of have a goal in mind with these things. And so we've taken a slightly different approach with XO, which is what we said, okay, we're going to build one every year. And, you know, if it, if it had, continues to have a, a positive net effect, then we'll consider doing another one. Uh, but it's not an endless thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit different because uh, the I think a lot of the conversations that are getting started, particularly this year about like um, diversity and the problems that, that we're kind of bringing over from other communities, particularly like tech communities and gaming and that kind of thing. Like those conversations, they're not going to go away in a year. Like that's, that is a conversation that we're going to be having for a very long time. And so it doesn't make sense to say like, ah, we'll probably get all this stuff wrapped up in two more events. <laughs> That'd be great. No, we're all I mean, done. The society's perfected. Yeah, we're done. We've solved everything. Hooray. There's a there's a community built around creative independence and it doesn't have any problems anymore. So we are out of here. Uh, that's that's not necessarily going to be it. I think the decision to, to continue doing XO or not is going to be one. Um, I think it's going to be uh, if Andy and I believe that we are capable of doing it because this year was was really tough for both of us, and it's going to be is this conversation maybe happening independent enough of XO that maybe XO doesn't need to exist anymore that it, that we have catalyzed the community and so we can the community is fine without XO. Um, every every year it's Tinkerbell. Are we are we wishing hard enough for it to exist that it that it calls it into being because it's a necessity, or or has it disseminated enough that you're having uh, mini style XOXOs happen all over just through conversation or smaller events or what have you? Exactly, exactly. And so I I mean I don't know. I have a personal opinion on this which I'm not willing to share <laughs> because Andy Bayo and I are. We have drinks scheduled for Friday. We're going to go uh, on Friday. We do this every year at the end of the end of the week after XO. We go and have a drink together, uh, and we talk about does this make sense to do again? And last year, you know, we uh, right up before XO, we were we were saying absolutely not. This is this is too much. Like it's taking away. No, absolutely no way. We're not. We're not. We're never doing this again. And then the week after, we were like. What were we thinking? <laughs> that was the greatest weekend of our lives. Of course we have to do another one. And so, I mean, it's a little bit different this year because, like, the, the run-up to XO was really tough and, and it, was, mm. it, was really, it was really hard. It was a really difficult weekend as well for a lot of different reasons. And so I don't know what the conversation is going to be. I've barely seen Andy Bayo since we, since we finished, so um, I don't know. But, I, yeah, I think the, the kind of the, to, to revisit the point I was trying to make, I think it's important to have 
uh, I think it's important to have a goal in mind. And, you know, the goal with Build was time, that where I want to try to achieve something over a period of time. And I think the goal with XO is if we can get this thing to a point where it, you know, the, we will continue to do it as long as we feel capable and interested. But uh, I think the goal for me would be XO can stop existing when it doesn't need to exist anymore because it exists it exists outside uh, of the event. Oh, and yeah, so, because, and I think yeah. I, I see the point too, because the people, reason people glom onto XOXO and you're oversubscribed isn't because, you know, people are coming. Here's how I unlock the secret to my success and make a billion dollars. More likely, you'll unlock the secret to your poverty for a while while you figure out what's going on. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like a reverse, reverse gets a, you know, it's, it's get, get happy slow, uh, event. But the, the, People glom onto it because there's nothing quite like it. I've been to a bazillion events, tech and some art, and there's nothing that quite melds the two. And I hope it pervades um, sort of culture more. And I think your efforts at more inclusivity uh, help as well. There's a, there's an event I interviewed the people behind Intervention, um, which is a very XOXO like thing. It predates it, um, and it's a very inexpensive, very panel driven, very um, participants are also panelists, part kind of thing in uh, in. Um, outside of DC and they're in their fifth year this mm -hmm. year. They have about 12, I think 12 or 1300 people and it's 40 bucks for the weekend, but they do every single thing to keep it as low as uh, cheap as possible. And it's very practical. It's, I want to get involved in creating video games or comic books or whatever. And it's a very different scale of thing, but I feel like that event plus XOXO is terrific. And then if you had other events in between other places, it starts to fill in that space of where people can't, get that um that overlap but i think that's why there's been so much attention focused on it is you're doing a great event and that's terrific and you're also filling a need and this is my perfect transition into the manual because the manual has i think that same uh locus is that uh there isn't anything quite like it and of course at a list apart is a great example is they do publish design essays they have talked about um theory of design and there's a lot of individual writers who on their own sites have done the same. And now you've gathered over the last few years, you've gathered many of these individual writers. Uh, some uh, Craig Mott has been on the uh, podcast um, a couple years ago, and you've brought them together to talk. And so the sidebar here is, let's talk just for a moment about what um, web design is as a space. Um, because uh, I feel like electronic and interactive design, it's, we're going on decades of people working in the space, but I feel like it's still evolving. It's got its own aesthetic and it feels like it's only been in the last few years that the tools have evolved to a point where you move beyond instrumentality, where the tools start to drop away and you can do things. So there's still the mechanical, technical, physical part that has to happen, but that designers are much more unbounded. And this gives us a position to do things um, conceptually that weren't possible anymore. Do you, is that a, do you think that's a fair con uh, characterization of the point we're at with interactive design in the web? Yeah, I think I think there was a little bit of a, a of a period I, I think up until quite recently where we kind of felt like we maybe knew what our parameters were that we were like okay we've got this you know box on a screen and we're kind of just working within this and then you know all of a sudden I, I think that got upended again very quickly and uh, there I, yeah I don't it's it's a maybe that was just me because I feel like actually it's it's absolutely gone back to just being a moving target mm -hmm. again where. Uh, you know, mobile devices have come in and responsive design is, is a concern. And then, you know, is, is the web not the priority anymore? Like, is, are we going to start focusing on, on apps or, you know, suddenly there's wearable stuff and it's just like, Oh God, again, <laughs> like, really? Like, where are we, where is this going? Like, what is my job supposed to be again? And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, 
I mean, I guess you know the 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 web and uh, and this kind of related fields have always been like that, where the the second you feel like okay, we've got this set, we know where we're working here, this is our canvas, this is what we got to do, and then you know the next day you're like, oh no, okay, there's like fifty other things we got to go worry about, and yeah, and I think uh, I think that there's there's a lot of just um, I think there's a lot of really interesting stories in there. I think there's a lot of really interesting um, kind of. Uh, you know, critique and 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 uh, reporting and stuff to be done of you know where are we at this moment in time with the you know with these ideas and that was that was the idea originally of like why we wanted to have a printed book because you can pick up you know of course everything that we're writing in the manual is relatively timeless even though we're writing about a medium that's constantly changing um, that the ideas are timeless but the idea was um, you know this is what was important to us you know in 2012 and. This, these are the essays because the the writers are not uh, are not given any direction other than write about what's interesting to you at the moment. We, you know, we pick the people that we think are interesting, and uh, then we ask them to write about what they are what they are into at the moment. And so, uh, over time, the idea was to have a snapshot of like this is where the story is going because this is what these people were concerned with at this moment in time. And so, I think that that's yeah. I think that it is it is shifting again. I think there's a lot of kind of um, I personally feel very confused and uh, as to where things are, are kind of heading at the moment because, and I feel like I have, even though I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but even though I'm actually quite young, um, I feel like, uh, oh, don't change. I don't want things to change. Like, I kind of understand the web. I don't want the, you know, I don't want things well, to move. Well, God damn it, you youngster. It's like, I've gone through every revolution. I'm, I'm old enough. This is, this is my, you know, the story of this podcast is that, uh, I'm only 46 and I've gone from, uh, I, I was past the end of metal, but I worked with all these guys in their sixties to eighties when I was an undergraduate and, and afterwards at a printing, uh, plan at a university who were hot metal, cold metal guys. And they still had letterpress going. So I'm still doing this. One of my old mentors in his nineties is still working on letterpress in DC, producing beautiful work, which is fantastic. But so I was trained by people who were trained in metal and thought about the conceptions and limitations of it. I became a typesetter using optical technology, which was, you know, cutting edge, eight inch discs and crap. And then into desktop publishing and then watch the web develop, you know, CD-ROM interactivity, then the web and then mobile. And I feel like, oh my God, I don't know how much more res revolutions I can take um, because yeah. I'm a designer at heart. And even when I work as a journalist, I still work as a designer in my head. Um, graphic design is my, is my blood and orientation, even though I don't do that much pure design anymore. And I feel like the a lot of a designer and, you know, I, I say graphic designer because I'm, you know, trained by the Swiss. And so I'm always, you know, thinking about it in the classical sense. But but design is a design is a way of viewing the world and the world keeps changing underneath us. And the way in which we can communicate keeps shifting like sands under our feet, right? Because you, right. you walk on the beach and you make your sandcastle and you're like, this will stand a thousand years and the wave comes. And you're like, where did that mobile watch that can have with 300? What the? <laughs> oh my God. So, right. I mean, as we talk, you know, Apple just introduced something that will once again, you know, they're not the first smartwatch. It's the first one that's probably going to effectively change again what designers do. Suddenly we have to conceive of a relationship between a thing on your wrist and haptic feedback. We're no longer a designer is now working in the realm of touch. It's not just touching paper, which we've always worked in. It's not just thinking about the smell of ink and so forth. It's not thinking about the flatness or the kind of, is it, re, is it reflective light? Is it uh, emitted light? Now it's going to be haptic. Now we're going to be dealing with the press, the touch, the turn. 
All of these things get folded into, I think, under that rubric. And so the designer's rubric, the web designer, the graphic designer, the rubric is now getting – the brief never gets smaller. It got small for a little while. When you were web designing, it was tiny. I have that square, right? And now it's like, okay, now it's all about doors again. And when it's unbounded, constraints are great. When it's unbounded, it's terrifying. Well, I think I think it's quite interesting. That's something that, that has been said you know, quite a lot over the last few years. Is you know the whole good design is invisible. You know, web designers have been kind of preaching this whole thing. Uh, I, I mean, that's a very you know that's that's a that's an older idea, but that's definitely that's that's enter the the web design confirmation uh, conversation. Uh, particularly, I feel a lot over the last five or six years. And uh, you know, what if the future design is literally invisible. You know, it's not stuff that we are all visual designers. And as these things get closer to us <laughs> as people, uh, this stuff does start disappearing and it doesn't necessarily re- require as much visual design anymore. Like that, uh, that is part of the reason why we fear change. You know, it would be nice if that didn't happen because it's an, it's an unknown. Uh, and we, you know, we don't really know where that stuff is going. And, uh, but I, the other, you know, where, where I have uh, an opinion as a designer and as a person who is, is, you know, producing stuff. On the other hand, I have a, an interest in a person who's curating this in a mm-hmm. book and kind of wanting to talk about what is going on. You know, the, the first guy is terrified. The second guy is like, okay, we're going to get some really good <laughs> stuff out of this because it's going to be really interesting what's going to happen, particularly over the next few years as, as you know, uh, you know, wearables are this unknown at the moment. Like, is it actually going to be a thing or not? And but we had this conversation every time something's been released. Like, ah, I don't know. It's not really going to take off, and then it does, and then we're like, oh, okay, we're screwed. It's, it is ter- it is terrifying. But that is the that is the opportunity is to ride the wave. If you're not, if you know, are you the water, or are you, are you the wave, or are you the are you the surfer? And and there's good positions in each of those as long as it doesn't right. crash. As long as you're not the beach. The beach is what gets pummeled. Well, this is where I I think it's a great uh, position to talk about where the manual fits because you know there's something perverse about writing about web design or design interactive design or whatever the broad rubric is and producing print volumes your first three issues were in print and are available people can mm-hmm. you know buy the back issues and buy a, a collected set but they weren't electronic and i i when i first found out of manual i was like this is awesome i mean i love print there's such a different thing about it. It's it, you know before we get into the issues of the difficulty of making ebooks it's still you clearly are making a statement when you say this is only available in print Right. So the original the original stance was we want to have kind of like deeper, richer conversations about this stuff. And so uh, in order to encourage uh, that, they're going to go in a printed book because this uh, this material is, uh, you know, what we what we what we put in this book is going to be important. And so uh, it, it, de- it deserves to be met with with some importance in its execution. And so, uh, you know, a printed book absolutely made sense. Uh, it's very easy also to pitch printed books to people who sit in front of screens all day because physical, like I get this to, I'm one of these people. I like owning nice things. Um, and I don't, you know, I have had a career of never really producing nice things that I could hold. And so, you know, it's very alluring mm. to be able to, you know, put a lot of, uh, of, of time and effort into producing a beautiful book, uh, because it's a really nice thing to own as well as it, you know, uh, and, and I also filtered in my own opinion, at the time, my opinion, whenever I when we when we started the manual, was people don't read on screens. I don't like reading on the web. I and I still don't like reading in the browser. Um, I don't like reading on my phone. Who reads on their phone? That's awful. 
you know, I don't, I don't read, I don't have an iPad, but I don't want to read on an iPad. Like, uh, uh, and I realized that we, you know, that we had several kind of like, ba- or I personally had several kind of big revelations over the years, but the, the most significant one, uh, well, I mean, there were a few, but one of the most significant was I don't get to tell people how they read. You know, if people are comfortable reading, uh, you know, a manual article on their phone, on the bus, they're reading it. That's fantastic. I, it's not up to me to tell them, like, you're not paying enough attention to this because it, you should be reading the book. And the book is the best execution. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that I brought a lot of my personal opinion into it, which was the, the kind of the first big thing that I realized was I was telling people to, to read the way that I felt uh, was the only way to read, which was in a, in a printed book. The other, uh, or one of the other things is that I had an opinion at the time that well, ebooks are garbage. Like I don't, I have a, uh, have had very brief experience with ebooks. They're terrible. They're typeset so badly, and the devices and just like oh god, absolutely no way. And uh, but the reason for that is because no one is actually putting the time and, and effort into producing ebooks like they do with printed books. Most most publishers, well, big publishers are just you know jamming their InDesign files into, you know, a script and generating or whatever. And it's, you know, it gets mangled and they don't care because at least they can tell people they're producing eBooks, but they're awful. They're, they're absolute garbage. And so, um, that was, I, I believe that, that, that was just the way that it was going to be, that eBooks were just going to be like that. And, uh, and so of course, that's not true. Well, it's also it's evolved though too. As you were right, there was a point when you were right, both in terms of the tools to make them, the difficulty to make good ones was not insurmountable, but ridiculous. And you had you know on a Kindle, it's always going to look crappy on a Kindle because they, Amazon had optimized towards the the simplest, crappiest thing. So things have evolved right. too. So your opinion was correct at one point that most eBooks not only. Uh, were difficult to read not, and not good to look at, but it was almost impossible for designers without putting in far too much effort relative to what the reward was to make it look good. And fortunately, that, it's, that dial has gone down a bit. It's not zero. It's not equally as easy to make a print thing. But that's changed. So you, were, you weren't wrong, but you watched things change underneath you. Yes. Certain, certainly, it, it is a combination of just seeing a lot of things done badly and also like knowing that the tools weren't really mm-hmm. there. And the, and the, uh, yeah, so I think the tools are starting to get there and, uh, it, it has improved. Like it is actually possible to produce uh, halfway decent eBooks and, uh, you know, and, and that is improving. And so that, you know, that is the approach that we have taken is that it's not up to us to tell people how to read if we're genuinely, uh, you know, overproducing some really great stuff, which we are, I, I am absolutely in love with this thing. I'm, I'm constantly blown away by the, by the submissions that we've received, the articles, and all three of the books that that we've published so far, and the fourth, which is uh, due to be released early next month, are dynamite. We've just got so much good stuff in there. And if people want to read it, they should be able to read it wherever the hell they want. That's not up to me to tell them, like, I only really like reading printed books. So you have to do that as well. And the other thing is, it, we should be going to meet them wherever they, wherever they want to read. If they want to read an ebook, then let's do a really good ebook. Let's, you know, there's no reason why it has to be an auto-generated, out-of-in-design <laughs> piece of garbage. Let's, uh, let's actually 
spend the time, the, the same amount of time and consideration that we do on the print book into making a really good ebook. And, uh, and so that is a philosophy that extends beyond just, oh, we're going to do print and we're going to do ebook. We, uh, I am absolutely committed to if people say they want to read it on a piece of toast <laughs> and enough people say they want to do that, we'll find a way to have the best piece of toast edition of the manual. And so I don't know where this stuff is going to go. You know, I don't know where people are going to be reading in 5, 10, 20 years. But if, the, if this thing is still going, we're absolutely going to go and meet them there. And that, that is a shift in philosophy, partially my own and partially just to do with the publication. And so that was the reason why we're going to do audiobooks as well, because a lot of people who, who read the manual are not uh, necessarily involved in the web and design. And I was kind of curious, like, I wonder what audiobooks would do. Like, that's going to open it up to a whole new audience of, uh, of, of people you know, I think it would, you know, it would be, I think it'd be very interesting for visually impaired uh, or, or, or blind people to be able to listen to a publication about design. And so let's make an audiobook and see what happens because we get a lot of, I think it would be kind of interesting to, sh to, to share with those people. And of course, I mean, it's, a, it's a, also a practical thing. It's convenient. A lot of people listen to audiobooks, but it's, it's going to open it up to an entirely new audience. And so it's, yeah, it's about a shift in philosophy and we'll, uh, if, if the possibility for other editions comes up, we're absolutely going to go there and we're going to make them the best they possibly can be because gen it, it, it kind of circles back to what I was talking about earlier with the web. The web has always been about, um, uh, particularly designing on the web has always been about the free and open sharing of ideas. The second that you discover something, you you write it up and you share it with everyone else. And the manual, by being exclusively a printed book, was over romanticizing that idea and kind of cut like cutting itself off from the conversation because people weren't able to share it, people weren't able to reference it and cite it. And it wasn't actually really contributing to the conversation in, in the way that it should have been, which is alongside every, everything else on the web. Uh, it, it should just be up on the web and it should be free and open to everyone. And so that is, that is why we are doing this. That is why there is a significant sea change in, in the publication. Well, that's a, that's a lot of, uh, that's a very interesting thought too, is because, uh, I mean, I, the print is terrific. There's a lot of advantages to it. Uh, but, Right, it's a physical instantiation is a problem because you have to have an actual copy. I mean, I know that sounds banal, but it's like, yeah, if, there, if there's 200 copies or 1,000 copies or whatever, if you don't have the actual copy, then there's no access to it. And that, that conversation, the dialogue, we can't interact with physical books um, online. I was going to tell this story from XOXO. is Kevin Kelly, the, one of the founding editors of Wired and uh, prof a person who's done more in every minute of his life seemingly than most of us can do in a lifetime. It's, it's absurd how happy and complicated and interesting like, – I should say how, how much joy he brings to the incredible diversity of different things he does that all seem exhausting to me. Uh, he, inexhaustible energy at, at every age as a young man and, and in, his, in his older ages here too. And, and so I introduced – I'd interviewed him on this podcast before. I introduced myself to him during the event and we were chatting and a fellow – and just about whatever. And a fellow comes up and says, oh, I don't mean to interrupt. Like, no, no, this is – come on, talk, whatever. And we're talking about something about books and, and the guy says, well, ebooks are easy, right? And we just start laughing. No, no. And Kevin's like, no, you don't know. And then Kevin's like, you don't know how I do it. And we're just – we're laughing and we're like – the guy's like, really? But I thought – I'm like, no, no, print is easy because you get a piece of software uh, – I mean I'm paraphrasing this 
hilarious discussion, but you get a piece of software and you put some stuff in it and you hand it to experts and then they deal with it and you get a thing back and there's steps you're involved with. But it's the domain of specialists and the cost of getting print books, of offset printing, printed books and now increasingly higher quality print-on-demand books through xerography, uh, the cost has gone way down. So you can get very short runs. You can get a really exquisite thing done very inexpensively in relative terms compared to, say, 10 years ago and certainly to 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, and you get this mm. beautiful thing. So, the, But the thing that was funny is I think he assumed that, well, if it's electronic, the physical part's a problem. Like, no, no, ex- we have, there's, there's people cutting down trees. There's people producing paper. I don't have to do that part. I'm not making my paper. I didn't have to my, uh, smelt the ore to make the printing <laughs> press. I didn't have to develop it. You know, there's a logistic systems. Like, I could hit a couple. I mean, in fact, when I did the magazine book, and you know this from doing the manual, it wasn't hitting two buttons, but the number of buttons I had to press to make enormous amounts of poundage move around the country, you know, I uploaded a spreadsheet to Amazon, and then thousands of people around the country put things into envelopes and put them in the mail stream, and thousands of other people carried them to people's homes. There's an incredible advantage in leveraging a physical ecosystem. Ebooks are hard, as you know. So it's I know there's the conversation part, but there's also the cost and complexity part. So so part of your philosophy going forward here, I'm looking at your Kickstarter page, the things you talked about, of course, it's the dialogue community accessibility. But you're making this will be uh, Creative Commons licensed. It'll be free. It'll be free and open web edition. You're publishing all the formats, as you discussed, and you're going to have pay if you want subscriptions. So it, you're opening it in all of these different ways. But there also has to be a funding part behind it because you've got to produce all these different methods where the costs uh, and knowledge of doing a print edition are very fixed and understandable. And this is sort of much more open than it is as well. How do you budget? You're doing a Kickstarter. Uh, it's underway mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and how do you budget for something that's this open-ended and figure out where the end point is? Well, uh, it's a, <laughs> asking me about budgets, though, dear. <laughs> well, uh, so, well, the idea is... Well, let's say, how uh, do you conceive of the scope? Even if beyond budget, how do you conceive of the scope? Because there are so many possibilities. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, there are a lot of known costs uh, in terms of like we know how much we have to pay the writers and we know how much it costs to produce the books and and the ebooks and getting the the web edition and so the idea is that the the Kickstarter project is kind of like a little bit of a tester for can we get enough people who will subscribe to the web edition even though it's free and open who will uh back the the ebooks and the audiobooks and the print books can we get enough people who are interested in doing that that will support publishing the the editorial online for free Mm -hmm. and so that is that is what the kickstarter project is and so the the goal that we have there is okay this is this is the amount of money that we need to get this to a first version of being done getting the ebooks done getting the audiobooks done getting the the website finished this will be our first version and if we can if we can get enough interest from these people and we can build up recurring subscriptions and, and sales of the books and the and the print books and the ebooks and the audiobooks, this will be enough for us to know that we can keep this sustainable. And so they, that was the idea of running the Kickstarter project is that we need to see if people are genuinely interested in supporting this kind of editorial, you know, that we're that we're publishing something a little bit different here. And are you willing to like in, instead of inverting it, putting a paywall up and saying we can only do this if you you know pay and then you get to see it? We're trying to invert that and to, and to meet it with the generosity that the publishing on the web has has always been built on, which is we'll put everything up for free 
And you tell us if you are willing to support that. You tell us if you're willing to come and meet us. And that, I mean, that, that is, that is effectively what we're doing. Hoping, crossing our fingers and hoping that uh, enough of an audience turns out to say, this means enough to me that I will support it. And my support of it means it gets to be free and open for everyone else. Oh, that's beautiful. And that, and that's, you're tapping into, right. And that's tapping into the generosity. People get to support the thing that not only means, uh, this is that thing. There are some events and some uh, projects I've seen, you know, you buy a thing and they're like, well, you can buy the thing. Or uh, if you pay this much, you're buying the thing for yourself and we're going to give it to somebody who doesn't have the means or in a developing nation or whatever. And so you're like, oh my God, I get to, this is like buying carbon offsets. Like as part of my desire to have this thing, I can turn something outwardly focused as well. And it assuages some of my feelings if I have guilt about buying another material thing or if I feel like, is this doing good in the world? You're giving me the position to say, ah, okay, I can let everyone have this by participating in this. And I feel better than I, it's a patronage for you to do, you know, say I support Andy and his team and I want them uh, to do good work. I want to read the essays as well, but I also get to push something out into the world that I didn't create myself, but I can be one of the people who brought it into existence. Now everyone has access. That's a wonderful position to provide for people. That is, that is exactly, that is exactly it. Like if you support this, then everybody else gets to have it and they get to have it for free. And, and actually, you know, we've been having discussions uh, over the past couple of days and we haven't made any decisions here, but uh, it'd be interesting. Like, could we do that with the other editions? Like, could we do, like, if you buy this, like exactly what you just said, like if you buy, uh, you know, a subscription, we give people the option to like send a subscription to a library because we get contacted by libraries all the time who want to stock it, you know, in, in middle schools and high schools and colleges and universities uh, all over the world who contact and say their, their biggest problem is that uh, their archaic payment systems where a lot of them will email and say like, ah, you know, we probably could pay for this, but you need a credit card and we're a university, <laughs> so we can't actually give you any money because we have a credit card. Can you invoice us and we'll send you a check? And it's like a check for 60 bucks, like for the three books. Uh, you know, I wish it was just an easier way to do this. And so that's we've been discussing that in the last couple of days. Like, could we extend the the generosity from the web edition into the other editions? Like, could we send some of these to libraries mm-hmm. and have that be supported as well? And so, yeah, I think that, I think that's quite interesting. And we I, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. I think between between myself and and Mari and Paulo, uh, Mari works. Uh, this I, I have a team of. Uh, there's three of us who who run the manual essentially full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mari runs operations, kind of just keeps us all in line. And Paulo is uh, designing everything, but mostly the website and the eBooks. And then obviously, you know, we have people who come in to help with editorial and and art direction and the books. So yeah, we'll we'll be having a conversation with that over the uh, about that over the next uh, few weeks to see if you know gifting the print books to libraries could be something as well. I think that's quite interesting. I I also want to highlight, um, I'm going to be doing, this is promotion for you. So it's coming from me. So you're not shilling anything. Uh, Is that that there's a lot of interesting positions in the rewards for the Kickstarter. And I, I of course, urge everyone listening should go and and back this thing because it's an interesting project to be part of. But you have these two higher levels that I think are fascinating. One is the fellowship, which is uh, limited to 25 people, 300. This is uh, denominated in in, uh, pounds. 
uh, it's being run out of. Um, uh, so your ho- the home for the project is Belfast, technically, right? Because you're that's where you're. Te- yeah, technically, at the moment, the business is is in the UK, even though I'm in Portland at the right. moment. So for the three hundred pound level, which is still roughly what four hundred and fifty dollars US these days. It's actually it's in the project description. Um, we do conversions for dollars oh, and euros. Oh, I see it there. Uh, oh, so, I'm sorry. Right. So yeah. Oh, four hundred eighty five dollars. Yeah. Right. Good God, the pound is strong yet. So that's yeah. good for American exports. And then there's a, a fifteen hundred pound or about twenty five hundred dollar level, which is field trip to Iceland. And so I, I, I think you should talk about these because I think um, people try to craft interesting higher level benefits uh, rewards for Kickstarters because uh, I have this thing that's – and I, other people have said it. I'm sort of parroting whether people say those. Uh, you want to give a position for people to support at the level that they're interested in supporting a project. So if you give them uh, a way to spend – that's a meaningful thing that's higher level. So for instance, the app uh, movie that just funded a few weeks ago, uh, the human story behind apps um, should be a very interesting project. And they had these uh, sort of executive producer credits and some special stuff at the end. And a lot of that came in at the end of the project because people thought, I want this thing to happen and I can have a very special relationship to this movie and a special relationship to the filmmakers. And they, it's, it's sort of extra patronage. But you also, you have to have you know ten grand if you're going to do that. But if you have the money – and some of these were business sponsorships uh, particularly. But if you have the money and – you want to get this sort of experience and you f- believe in this project strongly enough you want it to happen, then you're giving people a position to, to be there and do that. So you've given you know, these two positions at roughly $500 and $2,500. Can you explain the fellowship and the, and the field trip? Because I think they are um, unique. I don't know if I've seen other Kickstarters that, are quite, that offered quite this uh, involvement. Yeah, so the the idea behind the fellowship is that uh, there is a small group of people already involved in the editorial from day one. Uh, all the way up until the book's being published. And it's, it's, it's very helpful to have that group of people that for it to be more than a, a handful of people looking at the editorial because you get, you get a real sense of the publication and you notice stuff that's the ideas that are floating up. And, you know, we're constantly, uh, you know, we're, we're effectively copy checking this thing from day one as well. And, and uh, it's, it's always really helpful to have people being involved at that level. And so we thought, well, actually, what if we brought readers in at that point as well, that when stuff is getting turned in, they get to read drafts and they get to see early stuff or they maybe get to see on-release stuff from upcoming issues or um, we get to discuss uh, ideas. Like we, the, One of the big things that we want to do uh, with the website is build better reading tools for the website. And what if we got to show those uh, tools to some people before everyone else and they get to try some things out when, because we experiment with a lot of different things. And, um, it would be helpful to have a small group of people who are engaged in the publication essentially just as much as we are. And in return, they get to see everything behind the scenes, but we're also going to give them a bunch of like cool stuff. And so the idea is that it's kind of like a little bit of like a secret society kind of behind the scenes, secret club thing, and uh, we're going to limit it to a certain number of members. Uh, everyone is going to be assigned a number. Someone leaves, uh, then then it'll open up to someone else because we're going to keep it quite small. And every time we release a book, uh, the fellowship will be gifted with something that the that other people don't get. And so we're working on other kind of like small run, like little you know twenty five run things. I I don't know if I want to give away the stuff that we're working on just yet, but really nice like kind of. Um, high-end rewards for for people who get involved at a really intimate level and help us improve the books. The idea with the the Iceland trip is that we print all of the books uh, in Iceland. The the print books are all done uh, just outside of Reykjavik, 
um, by Audie, who are quite well known for doing the all the McSweeney's books. Yes, I um, remember. They, that was always their sticks. I remember decades ago, McSweeney's printed in Iceland. 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 Yeah, apparently it's a thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I, there must be a tax advantage too. I have to believe because it's uh, near, it's close enough to Europe, but I think the shipping would kill you. But you ship stuff from China, you ship stuff from Italy or Singapore or whatever. Yeah, so it's got to well, be the same have, thing. We put well half the half the books go on a boat uh, and they drop in somewhere on the east coast and then we um, drive them over to LA because mm-hmm. quite a lot of our orders go to west coast and then the rest uh, go on a flight to London mm-hmm. and they go to a warehouse just outside That's of London. Wonderful. So we do um, uh, UK and European distribution goes out, out, uh, of London and American kind of distribution, Canada and South America goes out of, uh, most of the international stuff goes out of the UK uh, warehouse and the, most of the kind of uh, other side of the world goes from uh, the LA warehouse. Um, and we're actually, we're, we're actually looking into opening some other warehouses to get the shipping price a little bit lower for some folks. But yeah, so the idea is that we are, uh, I've always wanted to go see the books be printed, yeah. uh, and it's in Reykjavik, so uh, we are going to go, whenever issue five is being printed uh, next year, we're going to fly over, uh, Paulo Mari and I are going to fly to Iceland to see the books being printed, and we're like, okay, let's invite some people with us. That's so wonderful. And so we'll, we're going to get an Airbnb and we're going we're gonna to be working on some stuff while we're there. And so we're going to have, uh, we're going to share the Airbnb and go for dinner and just I thought it would be a really kind of interesting way to get people over to see the books being printed, which is always fun, but also come and hang out with us and kind of see what we're up to and what we're working on and yeah, I I think it's a really fun idea. I think it would be really enjoyable. I think it's I think it's it's gonna be what a once in a lifetime experience too. And I hear the people in Iceland are some of the most. In, and I've met Icelanders too, and uh, outside of Iceland, are some of the most uh, interesting and wonderful people in the world, and and the people who can drink the most in the world, but only on the weekends. On weekdays, they don't. That's why they're happy. Apparently, they, that's why so, the Irish sober for weekdays, will... drunk on the weekends. It's the right combination. <laughs> Um, and yeah. so you can be part of that. And, and, uh, well, I think this is lovely too, is you're, it seems like you're trying to open this up in so many ways and that's opening up too. you're saying, look, we don't even know you and we're inviting you. If you want to be part of this thing, you can come and fly to Iceland with us. We'll put you up, we'll feed you and you'll get to see the whole thing just like us. And I think that's that, like people like, a, I got to tell you how tempting it is to come in at that, at that level. Uh, because and I've, I have some in-law family in Iceland too. So, uh, but the, uh, it's just a wonderful thing to say, we are so open. You can eat even be part of this thing at that level. I think it speaks to the whole shape of the project too, that you want to do that. Yeah. I think, I think that is the, that is the entire ethos uh, of, of everything in the, in not just the Kickstarter project, but in the shift that we have taken uh, and what we've been working on for the past couple of years is that we want to make this thing more open, not only just by putting the editorial up uh, on the web, but uh, you know, we want to invite people in and, and, and make this thing better if we're genuinely contributing to the conversation then we need to be actually having a conversation (laughs) so let's you know let's invite as many people in as possible and if we can do that with like the fellowship and and reward people for for getting really involved or if we can you know get some people to to come to iceland with us then that's absolutely what we want to do you know i i yeah, I'm I'm really excited. People can drink their aquavit and uh, brandevin and uh, and um, and enjoy watching beautiful books be printed. Andy, thank you so much for talking about all of this. Everything you bring to the table of everything you do is with so much consideration, care, and joy, and love. And I appreciate you for who you are that you do these things for everybody. 
Thank you, Glenn. I feel similarly about you, <laughs> and uh, you. I really I I love the new disruptors as well. I'm not uh, I'm not going to go off on one here, but uh, I yeah I know that's going on hiatus for a little bit, and I, I hope you consider doing another season because I absolutely adore this thing. I have a plan that listeners may find out about soon, partly inspired by what you're doing with the manual. So oh, so excellent. stay stay tuned after next week. There'll be more news. <laughs> Andy, thanks for thanks for being on the podcast. Perfect. Thank you so much, Glenn. You can now support the production of this podcast directly at patreon.com slash new disruptors. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash new disruptors. Support us at a level that starts at $1 per month. At higher levels, you can get our thanks on the air, t-shirts, and more. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com, and our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We're also a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening. 